I'm going to read again from Titus, the same Titus chapter 2, from 9, from verse 9 to 12. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. Because it explains some things that will give you better understanding. The Bible says, Urge born servants to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be pleasing and not talk back, not stealing things regardless of value, but proving themselves to be trustworthy so that in every respect they will adorn and do credit to the teaching of God as Savior. For the remarkable undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, it teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives with a purpose that reflects our spirituality in this present age. Father, we thank you this morning. We give you praise. We give you glory because your word is able to transform. Your word is able to heal. Your word is able to deliver. We pray that as we come before you this morning, let your word come into our heart like rays that will transform every part of our being. Take the glory this morning. Take the honor and all the adoration in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You may have your seats. If you are in the house of God this morning, I want to assure you that you are blessed and you have a privilege to be in the house of God. And I just want to say that when you come into the house of God, make sure you are intentional about having an encounter with God. Make sure you are intentional about having an encounter with God. Last week, or was it last week, we were able to go into the White House and we had a tour inside the White House. But when we came back, the Lord gave me a message about that tour. Because even though we were in the White House, we were able to go right into the dining room of the White House. We went into all the places where these guests come into the White House, but we did not see the president. And the Lord said to me that there are people who have a tour of his kingdom and have never met him. That there are people who tour his kingdom, they experience things about his kingdom, but they have never met Jesus. We were, were able to tour the White House, we were able to see where the president is with his guests and everything, but we did not see the president. I don't want you to be a tour or a tourist in God's kingdom. Become intentional about meeting the Lord. Don't let your coming to church become a tour of God's kingdom. Be intentional about having an encounter with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning. Today is our healing and deliverance service. And we always pray and do things according to how the Spirit of the Lord is leading us. Like when we have all these prayer topics, sometimes it takes me a long time to drop the prayer points because I don't have a book where I copy the prayer points. I have to wait on the Lord in order to get exactly what God wants us to pray. And I want to encourage you. When you pray these prayer points over and over and over and over, there is something called the prayer language. The prayer language is a language that when a man who is prayerful prays, you can hear from his language that this man is a prayerful person. Your vocabulary in prayer begins to increase. You don't say one and the same thing over and over and over because you have a enlarged vocabulary. But that is going to come when you pray multiple prayer points, you read prayer points, it will come to a point where it's like you just adapt to that language. That when you pray, you have an enlarged vocabulary in the place of prayer. Is somebody hearing me this morning? So when you come into the house of God, understand that we have prayer of warfare, we have prayer of intercession, we have prayer of petition. When we are doing prayers of warfare, it's not a time for you to be gentle. 
Even if you cannot pray like other people are praying, just look at the screen and begin to repeat everything you see in the screen over and over in a loud voice. Before you know it, that spirit of prayer comes upon you and you start praying. And if you can speak in tongues, once you give a prayer point in English, you enlarge what you're saying in tongues. You know, they used to say that our English language is so limited to converse with one another because we cannot fully express how we feel. That is why some people, when they talk to you, say, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? No, I don't know what you're saying except you say what you're saying. But we are not able to say what we mean because our language is limited. But God has given us a language that is not limited. So when I have something to tell God and I can't really express it, how I feel, the best way to say that thing to God is in tongues. So if you always pray in English, let me tell you, you are so limited in your prayers. Because you're trying to tell God how you feel, but you don't know exactly how to tell God how you feel. But when you begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that when we don't know what we ought to pray, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be expressed. When you are praying in tongues, you are saying things to God that your mind could not have been able to talk to God about. Is somebody hearing me this morning? So if you are not able to pray in tongues, desire it. Because it will change your prayer life. When I heard people saying that I pray for three hours a day, I kept asking myself, what is it that a man will be talking to God for three hours about? What are you complaining about for three hours to God? But once you start to pray in the Holy Ghost, you just start praying in tongues. And when you pray in tongues, sometimes the Holy Spirit will give you direct subjects to pray about. As you speak in tongues, it will bring things to your mind. One of the things I do in most Fridays is that I don't follow the prayer point sometimes. We just pray. As we're praying, the Holy Spirit, Spirit begins to drop things we need to pray about. And then we just pray. And that helps us to pray. So I want to encourage you, pray more in tongues than you pray in English. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I pray in tongues more than all of you. So he was able to say that because it is a necessary part of a believer's life. I don't know what I'm saying is, but this is a message for somebody. As you go back home today, practice, close yourself in the house, and just speak in tongues. Speak in tongues for 30 minutes a day, you see your spiritual life will change. Because you will talk to God about things that you could not have expressed in English. I want to talk to you this morning on the topic overcoming the power of addiction. Overcoming the power of addiction. Anytime we mention the word addiction, most people don't admit that you have any addiction problems. Because when we think about addiction, we are thinking about those people that are on crack cocaine, that are so messed up, they are on the street begging. That is our idea of addiction. But as I look into this subject, I discovered that there are many of God's people that are addicted. They have a problem of addiction. The power of addiction is controlling them. But this morning, as we begin to look into this subject and look into God's word, I want to believe that if you have any problem or the power of addiction is over your life, God is here to set you free. Amen. I wish I was saying this in the Baptist church. I said, God is here to set you free. Amen. Amen. There are many kinds of addiction, but addiction is defined as the act of becoming dependent on a substance, thing, or behavior. You become dependent on a substance, a thing, or behavior. Can I say to you that some people are even addicted to people? If you cannot do without somebody, you are addicted to that person. Because God has not created us to depend on anything except him. If you are depending on anything except God, that is an addiction. The only thing we should depend upon as Christians is God. Nothing else. So if there is anything in your life that you feel you can't do without, it becomes an addiction. 
Somebody also said that addiction is a brain disorder characterized by compulsive engagement in rewarding stimuli despite of adverse consequences. What does that mean? There is, a, there is something you involve in that makes you feel good. Even though you know that this is not healthy for my spiritual life, you keep doing it because it gives you that sense of feeling, that feeling that makes you happy and, and joyful for the moment. As I said, when we think about addiction, there are many types of addictions. But addictions are generally divided into two. We have drug addiction, which many people are suffering from in this country. As I read the statistics, as I was studying from experts, it said that drug addiction is causing America more than all cancer and all these terminal diseases put together. The people that are dying of drug addiction said that it is three times more than people that die of accidents on the highways. Those who are dying of drug addiction. It's a serious issue. You talk about alcoholism. You talk about cocaine, nicotine, marijuana, prescription drugs, and all these drugs that people take in order to live by or to depend upon. Then you have behavior addiction. Behavior addiction, you talk about food addiction. Some people can't do without food. That's why fasting is such a big problem to them. Because when they think about giving up food for six hours, it's like the world is coming to an end. Because they are addicted to food. They must eat food. They must live with food. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have video game addiction. Some people are addicted to video games. They can play that thing till 1 a.m. in the night and keep playing till daybreak. Not sleeping, not, not getting tired. Then you have gambling addiction. Some people gamble. They gamble every day. You have Christians who play the lottery, hoping to win money, and they play over and over and over. It's gambling. Gambling addiction. They have sexual addiction. When I, when I talk about sexual addiction, I'm not talking about just with people that go out into the streets and maybe fornicate or commit adultery. They are married people that are addicted to sex. They want to have sex with their wives seven times a week for every day. And if one day is missing, it becomes a family discussion. My wife is not respecting me. My wife is so mean to me because one day was missing. They are addicted. Then you have shopping addiction. Some people cannot stand to see anything online without buying it. The Holy Spirit has to intervene in order to stop them from buying that thing. They buy and buy. Even things they don't need, they keep buying. Sometimes they buy and buy and buy and buy and this. Why did I really buy this? They are addicted to that website of buying things. You have phone and social media addiction, which many Christians are guilty of. Phone and social media addiction. You on Facebook, you cannot pray 30 minutes a day, but you're browsing like four hours. And I read the statistics, it said that an average American spends four hours on their phone every day. Average. Four hours on their phone. There are some people, if they leave their phone at home when they were coming to church, if they were five minutes away from the church and they left the house like 30 minutes ago, they'd rather drive back to go get their phones before they come to church because they can't do without their phones. Even if there is nothing going on, they have to have their phone. It's like a life support to them. Addiction. Social media addiction. People that are scrolling over Facebook, watching people's uh, profile, looking for likes and shares, and trying to do things, you know, they have become addicted to the social media. Then you have pornographic addiction. I have spoken to many people, many Christians, who, you know, the fact that we have to abstain from sexual intercourse 
Now, since some people cannot deal with the void that is created by their abstinence, they, des they design to console themselves in many other areas, like watching pornography, that gives them that feeling of satisfaction. They have masturbation, like I said. They have walking addiction, workaholics. They cannot be, they cannot sit for nothing. They have to be doing something. So when they feel like they are not doing anything, they feel guilty because according to their addiction, they have to be doing something. They want to work and work and work. Even when they get home, they don't feel like resting. They have to find something to do even when they get home. There's an addiction. They have approval addiction. There are some people that don't feel happy about anything they do because they want to get everybody's approval. They want to know how my father feels about this, my mom feels about this. Everybody around has to give some kind of approval for them to feel good about themselves. It's an addiction. They are people that are addicted to things. I was actually watching a program on TV of a lady that is addicted to a pillow. And according to her, she said that when she went through a difficult moment of her life, the only thing she had was this pillow. So right now, she goes to everywhere with the pillow, to church, to every date she has in the restaurant with that pillow. And if you are a man who is interested in her, are you not in love with that pillow? That relationship comes to an end because you have to love her and love her pillow. She goes everywhere with that pillow. There are people that are addicted to things. Addicted to things. But this morning as we pray, the Lord is going to set anyone free of any addiction Amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. The most horrible one I saw was a lady that her husband died and the husband was cremated. So she had the ashes of her husband in the house. Like many people do, they will keep the ashes in the box in the house, which for me is ridiculous to keep a dead man's ashes in your house. And so one day she will always hold those ashes and cry because she feels that the closer the ashes are to her, the closer her dead husband is to her. So one day, I don't know what she was doing, the, the box got open and the ashes peeled and it touched her finger. And then she licked the ashes. From that day, she became addicted to the ashes of her late husband. That she now moves around with a box like this and she will stick her finger inside her. She's, the ashes was like maybe five pounds. By the time this program was going on on TV, she had licked like two pounds of the, of, the, of the ashes. This is what I call addiction to things. And there is nothing any family member or any friend can say to her to convince her that what you are doing is wrong. It is not only wrong to lick normal wood ashes, not to talk about licking the ashes of a dead man. People are addicted to different things. There are people who are addicted to worry. They can't live worry-free. They have to be worried about something. So when they are not worried about something, it's like something is going on in their life. They always have to be worried. It doesn't matter the quantity of the word of God they hear. Worry is always their problem. You counsel them now, you talk to them, you pray for them. The next thing you know, they are complaining because they are addicted to worry. They are people that have control addiction. They have to control every detail of their life to, to the T. And if they don't have full control of it, it's a problem. They worry about their tomorrow. They worry about their money. They worry about their family. They worry about their brothers and sisters. Everything about their lives is a worry. And as we look at these things, we look at the causes of addiction, as experts say. They said that 50 to 60% of all people that are addicted is genetic. It means that if something runs in your family, there are high chances that that same thing can follow you. That is why if your father was a drug addict or your mother was involved in something, 
You, should, you better stay away from that thing because if you start doing that same thing, for example, if your father was an alcoholic and now you're trying to drink alcohol, you're trying to open the door of that addiction to manifest in your life. You better stay away. The second thing said is said to be poor coping skills for dealing with stress. Most people, when they are stressed, since they can't cope with that stress, they find things in order to help them with the stress. Like in this country, when people are stressed, they eat. They eat themselves. You see people eat and get obese because they can't manage their stress. Then the third thing he says is negative thinking. They think negative, so it affects the way they behave. Then they find some kind of thing to cope in as with their negative thinking. The fourth he says is underlining anxiety or depression. When people are depressed, they become addicted to something. Like some people watch too much TV because they are depressed, so they find comfort in watching either a show or a program on TV. But one of the things that I'm very concerned about this morning, which the experts don't know and they don't talk about, is spiritual oppression. Most people are addicted, not because they like it, they're addicted because there is a power beyond their control that is keeping them down. And that is what we come in this morning. If there is any power that is controlling you to do anything against your desire, that power leaves you today in the name of Jesus. I said that power leaves you today in the name of Jesus. There was a young girl that was brought to church. The mother complained and said, Pastor, I don't know what is wrong with this girl. I have done everything to stop this girl from flirting with boys. We close her into the house. She jumps over the window and goes out. We've done everything. As we were talking in the church, I realized the young girl was possessed. We prayed, cast out the devil from the girl, and the girl never went out again. The mother had beaten this girl several times. Someone out in a family meeting. Uncles had spoken to her, but nothing was changing because it was a power that was above her. Sometimes people are addicted to things and they try to change. That is why people make resolutions in January and they break it by February 1st. They try to change it by themselves. But there is a power beyond them controlling them. But this morning, any power that is opposing or oppressing anyone in this house, that power leaves you today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I said that power leaves you today. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Coming back to the text that we read this morning. In Titus chapter 2 verse 9. The Bible starts about talking about. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters. Now when you read the Bible. This version in the NIV version. It says slaves. Most dynamic equivalent translations. will say slaves. You must understand that the Bible has three kinds of translations. And that is why when you're studying the Bible, you need to understand what is a translation. There are three kinds of translations in the Bible. We have the literal translation, which means that the Bible is saying that this, the Bible is written just the way it was said. Even though it doesn't convey the exact idea, but it's written to, to mean exactly how it was said. For example, the Apostle Paul will say something like, Greet one another with a holy kiss. That, that is how it was said. Now, if we have to understand that in English, that would mean that after church, look for any sister and kiss them. That's not what he said. Holy kiss, according to how it was said back then, was embraced. But since there were lack of words, like I said, to express that in English, the writers put it as holy kiss. Then you have what we call dynamic equivalent translation, which is scripture version like NIV, NLT, Meaning that they don't say the exact thing that was said, but they look for words that will make us understand in our context. Like 
when you read this, 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 and this version, these uh, verses in NIV, NIV will look for verses in our context to help us understand what it was being said. But the trouble sometimes is that language is evolving. So something that was translated in the 20, maybe the 18th century may not mean the same thing today. For example, when the Bible says, Jacob I love and Esau I hate. If you use the hate word in this generation that we live, it's terrible. But back when the authors were translating the scriptures, it wasn't the same meaning as today. If you read the King James, it says, Jacob I love, Jacob I prefer to Esau. It wasn't saying I hate Esau. It was just saying that I prefer Jacob to Esau. But most traditions will say, Jacob I love and Esau I hate. Then you have the paraphrased version, which is versions like the Message Bible, that will just say things to help you understand what was said in our own day-to-day -day context. So when the Bible talks about slaves in this verse, it's not slaves as we understand it as being a slave. That's why if you read the King James, it says, born servants. Who was the born servant? In the Jewish culture, if you owed anybody money and you were not able to pay, what you did is that you gave yourself to them to serve. Like, for example, I borrowed maybe $20,000 from me, and I'm not, I'm not able to pay. I will say, well, brother, tell him, since I cannot pay this money, I will come to your house and become your servant. So then, after I have worked for you to the, to the amount I think is, you know, worthy of the $20,000, then I'm free to go. But some people, while they served for the debt they were owing, and after the debt was completed, they felt like I have a good life here, I prospered in this place. I'm not going. So they will make themselves a bond servant. They will say to the master, I don't want to go anymore. I want to stay with you the rest of my life. And according to that culture, they will take some, some, some materials and put holes on their ears. They will tell, them, tell everyone around them that they were born servants. So when the apostle Paul is saying, teach slaves to be subject to their masters, he's not talking about slaves that we know in America. He's, talk, he's talking about born servants. They have to be subject to their masters. And he said, try, let them try not to talk back at their masters. You know, like I always say that, your response, your response, your attitude, how you respond to people is going to show whether you're submissive or not. One of the characteristics of a person who is not submissive is argument. It doesn't matter what you say, they're always going to say, bet. They're always going to go back and forth, back and forth until their point goes across. But the Apostle Paul is saying that it doesn't matter what you think or what you know, learn not to talk back to your masters. Show that sign of submission to your masters. And then it goes in verse 10. It says, and do not steal, but be careful so that you are trustworthy or being trusted. You know, anytime we talk about stealing, many of us Christians think about stealing like going into somebody's closet or somebody's wallet or somebody's house in secret and taking anything that does not belong to us. But if you look at stealing, stealing is taking anything that does not belong to you in a way that is wrong or illegal, or taking something that you are not supposed to take without permission. How many of us have things in our houses from our jobs that our supervisors don't know? Or sometimes you close some wall, you just take some pens, you take something, it's stealing. Anything you take without permission is stealing. I know when I used to live back in Cameroon, there are people that you go to their houses, you see their dishes are company dishes. Their plates are company plates. Their spoons are company spoons. Since they walk in those places, they just take them and take them home. It is called stealing. And Apostle Paul says that if you are a servant serving in this place, 
Avoid taking things that don't belong to you because it's called stealing. And then he comes in the next part of this verse. It says, so that in every way you may make the teaching of our Savior attractive. What does this mean? Listen. Christians are supermodels employed by God through the blood of Jesus to advertise his kingdom. Let me say that again. Christians are supermodels employed by God through the blood of Jesus to advertise his kingdom. So everything you are doing on this earth, you are on the wrong way. You are advertising something. So whatever you are doing, you are showcasing something about your kingdom. So the Apostle Paul says that, as servants who are believed, your masters, your friends are watching. The way you live, the way you act, is going to either make the gospel attractive or not. The way you act as a friend can bring somebody to church or drive them away from church. That's what Apostle Paul is saying. Your behavior is going to attract people to God's kingdom or repel them from God's kingdom. Have you ever heard somebody say, I cannot go to that church? If that is how Christians are, I cannot go to that church. It is true that they should not look on those things before they come to church. But we can be great hindrance to people who want to follow the law because our actions, our behaviors, does not correspond to the things we believe. So the Apostle Paul said, let your behavior be in such a way where you can show people that there is something good about this kingdom. And addiction is one of those things that is responsible for destroying your testimony. Just imagine that you are a believer, man of God, but you are addicted to something. And your friends know about it. How do you tell them about serving the Lord, abandoning their sin, and trusting the Lord? They are looking at you, you are still struggling with your own sin. You are still struggling with your own weaknesses, and you are trying to tell them about God can help them. Addiction is very powerful to destroy your testimony. But as we pray this morning, you are going to leave this place as a supermodel that will advertise God's kingdom. There are people looking at your life who desire to know God. I want you to ask your neighbor, neighbor, how is your modeling career going? Ask your neighbor, how is your modeling career going? Ask your neighbor, how is your modeling career going? Are you creating any impact or you're, or you're destroying the, the kingdom you represent? Amen. And then in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God, which appears to all men, to teach men to say no to ungodliness. Now, the Apostle Paul, after giving all these instructions, the reason why he brings the grace of God, he says that everything that I've said to you is only possible through the grace of God. I know you may say it is difficult to stop. It is difficult not to do this. But I'm not asking you to do these things in your power because the grace of God that can give you the ability to overcome that thing has appeared to all men. Is somebody hearing this morning? Listen to me. Therapy is good. But therapy without the grace of God is struggling in the flesh. That is why people go through therapy to overcome an addiction and a few days or few months later they relax and go back because it is in their strength. The only thing that can bring a man out of addiction is the grace of God. Is somebody hearing me this morning? It is the grace of God. The grace of God is not just God's unmerited favor like we know it. The grace of God as we see in this text, is power, is salvation from sin, deliverance from sin. This is where most of the grace preachers go wrong because they teach grace like a license to sin. It doesn't matter what you do, God loves you. That is true. But the grace of God comes upon you to empower you to live above sin. It's not coming to give you a license to sin or to be excused for sin. Grace comes to empower you 
So you are not born, you are not in bondage to sin. Amen. Amen. Today is your day of deliverance because the grace of God is here. Amen. I say the grace of God is here. Amen. And it says that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So grace is a teacher. Grace is a teacher. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Grace is a teacher. When you are struggling to do something, or maybe your addictions are pushing you back into that thing, once the grace of God appears, it teaches you to say no to that thing. Amen. You will not continue to do that same thing because the grace of God is now working in your life to help you to overcome that thing. Amen. Tell somebody you are leaving this place free. Tell somebody you are leaving this place free. In the name of Jesus. Listen, therapy is a process. Some people, for them to be clean, they have to stay somewhere for six months to get clean. But when the grace of God appears in the life of a man, instantly you can be free from that thing. Amen. I have seen people that have smoked for years. They step into a church service and after prayer, they drop that cigarette and never went back to it again. Grace. Without any therapy. God suddenly releases a power over your life that cigarette begins to irritate you. You, don't want, you can't stand cigarette. Grace. But therapy will tell you, okay, replace this addiction with a book. Replace addiction with a movie. You do it over and over and you get tired. But when the grace of God comes upon you, it breaks that addiction and gives you hatred for that addiction. May that grace manifest in the life of somebody today. In the name of Jesus. I say may that grace manifest in the life of somebody today. In Jesus' name. Now, looking at this text, if you are going to overcome any form of addiction in your life, there is just one thing you need to do. The Bible says the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching men to say no to ungodliness. So the question is this. If the grace has appeared to all men, why are people still stuck in their bondages and in their sins? If the grace has appeared to everyone, why are people still struggling in their addictions, struggling with their problems? It's because they are not submitted to the grace of God. The only thing you can do to be free from addiction is to submit to the grace of God. You've tried with your power, it didn't work. You've gone therapy, it did not work. You have to submit to the grace of God. Amen. Amen. As the Amplified Version says, it says, For the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives with a purpose to reflect spiritual maturity in this present age. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Grace is able to help you. Grace is able to help you. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, it says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are no longer under law, but under grace. Sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are now under grace. So once you submit yourself to grace, grace releases you from the bondage of the law. You are liberated in Christ. You are not, you are not inclined, you are not, you, are not, you are not responsible, you are not responding to your feelings or your desires. You are responding to the word of God because you are now under grace and not under the law. And lastly, in Philippians chapter 2, from verse 8 to 9, he said, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. 
that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. Grace is able to set you free. Grace is able to liberate you. Grace is able to stop every desire that does not please God in your life. Is somebody hearing me this morning? To submit to the grace of God, number one, you have to acknowledge that you have a problem. Like I said, most people are not free from the addiction because they don't acknowledge that I have a problem. They try to say things to cope with, well, I'm just busy. I'm working too hard because I'm busy. They don't want to acknowledge that I have a working problem. I'm a workaholic. Until you acknowledge you have a problem, the grace of God cannot manifest in your life. That grace is hanging in the air. But the only way the grace is downloaded, downloaded to your life is when you acknowledge, I have a problem. Then the grace starts to manifest in your life. Number two, you have to cry out to God in sincere repentance. What is repentance? I have been there before where you are doing something that is not right and you know it. And after you do, you confess with God, I'm sorry. But deep inside of you, you still have the desire to do that same thing again. That is not repentance. Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. Repentance involves a change of direction, a change of will, a change of heart, a change of desire. Meaning if I'm given the same opportunity to do that thing again, I'm not doing it because I've changed. That is repentance. But when you say, Lord, I'm sorry, but you still have the intent of doing it again, it's not repentance. So when you sincerely repent, you are telling God, as I say no to this thing, I have no desire to do it again. That is sincere repentance. And number three, accountability. Be accountable. Sometimes just sharing an addiction openly can lead, be the, the way out of that addiction. The addiction is powerful and it's secret. Once anything is kept in secret and covered, it becomes very powerful. The devil operates in secret. So if you have any kind of addiction you are going through and you try to keep it to yourself, it becomes powerful because you are not accountable to anybody. In James chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It said, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. When the Bible says, Confess your trespasses, it's not talking about sin. It means that you can have, let's say, I have a lost addiction, for example. I can tell a brother, brother, please pray for me. I'm lost after these girls. The moment you say it, your prayers become answered because God knows that you are not just saying it because you're guilty. You are willing to come out of that bondage when you confess it. You say it out to people. Sometimes you need to call somebody and talk to them about your addiction. I'm struggling with this. I need prayer with this. As you confess that thing, God gives you freedom out of that thing. The grace of God is here this morning to break any form of addiction. Amen. Amen. I said the grace of God is here this morning to break any form of addiction. Amen. I don't know what kind of addiction you are suffering from this morning. Whether it's a drug addiction or a behavior addiction. Can I tell you that many Americans are addicted to coffee? They can't start their day without coffee. It's an addiction. If they start their day without coffee, it's like something is missing. They have to get that boost into their system in order to start their day. It's an addiction. We are not supposed to depend on anything except God and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. This morning we are going to pray. I don't know what form of addiction is governing your life, but God is setting you free today amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. Your amen has partial paralysis. I say God is setting you free today amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we stand on our feet?
One of the addictions that many of us are guilty about is social media addiction. You can't pray for 30 minutes a day, but your fingerprints are all, you can see your fingerprints on your phone, your lines are you, lines on your phone because every minute, this is what you do. Some people, even in the, in the course of them pray, they're like, They can't pray without, they can't do one second without their phone. It's an addiction. Yeah. But this morning, the Lord is setting somebody free. Yeah. The Lord is setting you free. Yeah. The Lord is setting me free. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to pray these five warfare prayer points. Five. Like I said, if you don't have an addiction, you can sit down and say, God, I, this is for these people, I'm, I'm not concerned. But you have, if you have an addiction that you think you have, pray this prayer because God is here to set you free. The first prayer point says, Father, in the name of Jesus, I acknowledge my addiction and helplessness. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. Tell the Lord what is your problem. Lord, I can't do without my phone. Help me. I can't do without this. Help me. I am stopped in this behavior. Help me. Oh Lord, I acknowledge my helplessness, my hopelessness. I acknowledge my addiction. Lord, have mercy on me. Can I hear somebody pray? Raise up your voice to the Lord and pray. Lift your voice to the Lord. Lord, I acknowledge my addiction. I acknowledge my addiction. I know my addiction. This morning I come before you because I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. Help me, my Father. Help me, Rock of Ages. Help me, Ancient of Days. Kizodo do Kwekedini Banzo. Sikwanda Gadada Krozuda Gamadosh. Likibia Gajos Wakende Kilo. My God and my Father, I acknowledge my addiction. I acknowledge my addiction. And I come before because I'm helpless. I am hopeless. Lord have mercy. 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 